Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. Let me just turn off my fan first. I realized I had a fan going full blast. Unbelievable. I can't. We haven't even launched this show yet and you already have a fan. <laughs> it's a screaming fan. So this is a fun one. This is I, I don't even know why I decided to go down this digression. It's uh, maybe because just to make a really random nonsensical point at the beginning of one of these ancient aliens episodes, mm -hmm. they just go into Roswell randomly and then just leave. And I was just like, I can't do a podcast where we're talking about aliens and then have them bring up Roswell. Yeah. And we are, the two of us are young. We're virile. We're, we're hip with the youths. So to us, Roswell is ancient aliens. You know what I mean? Because we're so young and hip. That is a word I use to describe myself all the time. Correct. We are both young. We're both very young as a person who celebrated my third, uh, my, oh my God, I was about to say 39th birthday. <laughs> no, as a person who celebrated my 29th birthday, I'm still very young, clearly, as you can see and hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other side of that hill. It's fun. Next year, I'll be with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, this is some real 90s stuff, like as a kid with the X-Files and like yes. the kind of UFO high high life. The Roswell story in many ways just mm. feels like it's taken for granted. Like uh, without knowing anything, what do you think of when you think of the Roswell incident? The I think of, was it New Mexico? Yep. Um, and I think of a spaceship crashing. Like This is what I, just to be clear, this is what I think of, not necessarily what I believe to be true, but this is like the imagery that comes to mind. You know, I think of a spaceship crashing in the desert, scientists or government people in like suits, you know, like men in black style going in and, and trying to cover it all up and uh, taking an alien, maybe a couple aliens out of the crash and experimenting on them, studying them, little gray, uh, gray people with big heads. And uh, there's the whole Area 51, you know, like what's there? What's not there? Is it aliens? Is it secrets? What are they keeping from us? I think of a lot of those kinds of conspiracies and it, really I think of it as the first time and maybe this isn't true, but I think of it as the first time that 
aliens as a concept really took off and really got people's minds going. So yeah, that is the kind of popular understanding of the Roswell incident. And you're going to be surprised by just how it's 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 an urban legend and just how many like layers of fun telephone happens and that it gets more UFO-y as time moves along. <laughs> this is it's probably not aliens, a podcast where we investigate uh claims of aliens existing in human history or uh, things about pseudo-archaeology and pseudo-history. And today we're taking a little slice of the early Cold War by talking about the Roswell incident, according to ancient aliens at the introduction or according to (laughs) believers, ancient aliens, I don't think gets into this. It's a bit outside of their scope. But the general thing, a UFO crashed in Roswell. The government showed up, covered it up, saying that it was a weather balloon. But the people who were there, including the coroner, remember that there was alien corpses. In the 90s, we found out that there was a video of an alien autopsy. And Jonathan Frakes introduced it on Fox TV <sighs> on prime time. I remember this. I remember commercials for this. Wild. Alien autopsy you- with J- Jonathan Frakes, William Riker how- himself. <laughs> Tristan, how would you remember it when we're both so young? Because I'm, I'm 33. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. Well, I can't wait to dive into all of that. My name is Scott Nicewander. I'm the part of this podcast that is everyone's least favorite component compared to Tristan, who uh, brings in all the facts and research and is the best part of the show. No, no. I'm Tristan Johnson, uh, and I am the person who brings all the nerd stuff that needs to be fluffed up and made entertaining by the ever so eloquent and fun Scott Nicewander. So there you go. We just we we pumped each other up. Yeah, we're each other's hype men. Let's go. Let's talk about aliens. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Jonathan Frakes. What's he up to these days? Is he still doing Star Trek? He is. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's the best fact I've learned so far in this episode. Yeah, he's on Lower Decks. Oh, fantastic. I love that, man. Yeah. So the Roswell incident, first of all, I got to mention also that I've actually been to Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, okay. uh, I went when I was a kid uh, on a road trip in 2002, I want to say. And Roswell is a very fun little town because this is the only thing that's ever happened there. So they have built their entire town around it. So like all of their... (laughs) Yeah, of course. Their streetlights have little alien eyes on them and they have tons of like oh, like there's a uh hotel there called the the little alien Inn. um <laughs> like they go all out it's great that's so cute well you know i'm glad that something somewhat positive i guess came came from it for this little town now they've got an identity yeah if you want a little bit of uh americana go to roswell new mexico and just take a look around it's great but uh, yeah, in July of 1947, a balloon came down over a ranch by uh, the, okay. a ranch that belonged to a guy named Mac Brazel. Uh, this is in a area that's about 75 miles northwest of Roswell, New Mexico, a little sleepy town in mm-hmm. New Mexico. So it was reported by Mac Brazel as a flying saucer because he had been reading about flying saucers when the crash happened. Oh, so flying saucers were already a thing? before Roswell? It was a thing in like Tales to a Maze and oh, like, yeah. uh, things like that. All those old sci-fi pulp stories. I actually have a whole, I just bought a whole bunch of old pulp novels. We need to keep you away from eBay. eBay. <laughs> uh, you gotta keep me away from eBay. It's the worst. Oh no. 
yeah, just uh, just uh, just saying like you recently for a video bought 1960s and 70s magazines so that you could yes. cut them out into collage into collages into period accurate collages from the artists I was trying to replicate. And I also with that bought a whole bunch of those sci fi novels because uh, I intended to use the covers of those. And then I, they, I just thought they were so cool looking that I couldn't possibly bring myself to cut them up. So. I guess now that you do say that, it makes sense that flying saucers are a thing before this. Because as you said, this was 47. Yeah, 1947, two years after World yeah. War II. These these pulp novels would have would have come out, you know, way before then, I feel. Mm-hmm. But this is still, as you said, this is the thing that kind not. Well, I guess it isn't really the thing that put UFOs on the map because that actually happened a little bit later. Mm. But uh, let, let's 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 dig into it. So he reported the flying saucer to a person named Major Jesse Marcel at the Roswell Army Airfield. And he received the report, but didn't do anything about it right away. But the press picked it up. A new local newspaper by the name of the Roswell Daily Record reported that a flying saucer had been captured in Roswell. <gasps> but then after the military went there and investigated, uh, the reprinted a correction that showed that, no, it was merely a weather balloon. And they did an interview with Mac Brazell, who felt very bad about all of the unwanted publicity that this... Uh, oh. calling it in as a UFO cause. Oh. oh. So they, they immediately corrected it. The next day, yes. Saying. Oh my goodness. You'd think that'd be the end of the story. Mm-hmm. What was retrieved from Roswell, New Mexico was in total ahem, a little bit of degree totaling to about five pounds worth of foil and aluminum. Mm. The officials recovered it and the story then died for 30 years. <laughs> okay. So that's the end of it. No one talks about this at all. Everyone's like, well, that was little, that was Mac being Mac, you know, what a goof, what a, what a goofball. Yeah. And then 30, what happens 30 years later? Well, here's, this is the, it's important to mention the time gaps here because we're going to be dealing with a lot of people's personal recollections. Yes. And that is going to factor heavily when you think about like how people remember things because we're not super great at remembering things and remembering things that happened 30, 40, and sometimes 50 years ago is going to get complicated. So in 1978, the National Enquirer came across this uh, story from 1947. National Enquirer, still in in publication today, very well known as a quote, supermarket tabloid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not exactly known for its high standards of journalism. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. And also, if I if I remember correctly, just in modern context, being fiercely loyal to Donald Trump for no reason whatsoever. Uh, I didn't even know that. That's upsetting. (laughs) And they also have like a bad reputation of paying sources for stories, which in journalism is considered a big no-no. Yeah, I can see why that would be the case. Why why that's considered a a no-no. That being said, they actually have broken some important stories, but for the most part, the the signal-to-noise ratio is... Uh, pretty bad. Yeah. So anyways, after 31 years of nobody remembering or saying anything about the Roswell incident, they decided to print the uncorrected news article from the Roswell Daily Record without the correction. No correction. So they took the... No correction. So they took the article from day one and did not print the correction from day two. So you see where this is going? Mm. <laughs> mm. That feels a little not great. That feels really irresponsible. Mm-hmm. 
from hold on from from the national inquirer irresponsible i don't believe it tristan yeah and also the national inquirer was digging up a newspaper from 1947 and in the late 1970s the ufo crowd had grown from you know being very small or non-existent in the 1940s to like kind of a subculture by the 70s, which would kind of peak mm-hmm. by the 90s. Yeah. So when this story was published by the National Enquirer, a guy named Stanton Friedman, who was a UFO enthusiast. Uh, sure. He's a UFO fan. Mm-hmm. He's a fan of them. He loves them. Can't get enough of them. Yeah. So he found the story in the Inquirer and tried to do some interviews to learn a little bit more about what was going on. So he tried to find anybody who was alive or who knew people who were alive during this and tried to tie it all together. And all sorts of fun stories came out of this. I bet. One of the things that he centered around was he did an interview with Major Marcel, the person who received the report of the Roswell incident. Yeah. And he managed to get Major Marcel to say that it was possible that the government was (gasps) covering up an actual alien spacecraft. Oh, no. Well, that's that's the smoking gun right there. Yeah. Just to specific for the wording here, he managed to get in the interview... He managed to convince Major Marcel to say that it was possible that the government was covering up an actual alien spacecraft. That's, that is wild. That's how uh, strong the connection is here. It is possible that they could be covering up an alien spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Now, so Friedman published that interview and pub- and wrote about all these like conspiracies and stuff like that connected to this UFO being found in Roswell, New Mexico, that five pounds of tinfoil found in the desert is all of a sudden a spaceship. (laughs) Then another group of people, another group of UFO enthusiasts, two guys named William Moore and Charles Berlitz, took his work and made their own book called The Roswell Incident. Now, this is the Uh, thing that really put it on the map. I've heard that phrase before, yes. That specifically, The Roswell Incident. Now, this book didn't really publish anything new. It was more of a collection of interviews mixed with a bunch of just guesses and uh, suppositions. And again, they just went around and tried to interview what few people were still alive. This is Mm -hmm. the late 1970s. It was 30 years later, and a lot of those people who were like, you know, 30, 40, you know, working age at the time were in their like 70s and 80s. Yeah. So (laughs) continuing to get away from it. So the story really was still contained into what was this debris really? What had been recovered from the ranch? Mm -hmm. That's like, they just like, we had questions. So we weren't at the point where they had like alien autopsies or any of the like real big deep claims about things. They just had, oh, this is suspicious. I wonder what happened Mm -hmm. here. Could have been aliens. Yeah. Very, very ancient alien style, you know? Exactly, exactly. It's a lot of what you what you've said, the alien of the gaps, where I don't know, something weird's happening here, maybe. I bet it's aliens. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the National Enquirer, with this information or with this uh, push up in popularity, they also interviewed Major Marcel and published their own interview. But again, nothing new came out. Literally, that's the, 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 the late 70s then. The story died once again, and it was just some interesting questions in an obscure corner of ufologist lore, you know? Yeah. But then, Uh now you are a 90s kid, so you might remember this. I am a 90s kid. Do you remember the television program, Unsolved Mysteries? Uh, Of course (laughs) I do. Of course I do. Can we get a sting of the theme song? (laughs) Let's hit it. Editor Scott, put that theme song, put that spicy, juicy theme song right here. You may be able to help solve a mystery. 
So for anyone who doesn't know, Unsolved Mysteries was quite a show. It ran for over a decade uh, through the late 80s until I think almost 2011, I think is when they closed it down or maybe in the early 2000s. It's been rebooted a few times. But mm-hmm. it ran for a prodigiously long time. And it was a real grab bag. Basically, it was what it said on the tin. Every episode was about some sort of conundrum or mystery that didn't have an answer. But what was weird about it, and is still weird about it to this day, given like, you know, how when you think about like focus and theme, is that it would range from like unsolved true crime to yes. like paranormal activity. Yeah, ghost stories. And then of course aliens. Alien abductions or alien visits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been recently rebooted on Netflix. Yes. People actually who have never who never grew up with this show, I found talking to them about it, they hate the premise of it because they're so we're so so used to true crime shows now where there's typically an ending like someone gets caught or found out or there's a trial whatever and unsolved mysteries is exactly what it sounds like you don't get a solution at the end of it you get a lot of well isn't this strange isn't this bizarre well, we don't know what happened and people get really upset about that. But I mean, it's what what do you expect? It's called Unsolved Mysteries. And it's not even like America's Most Wanted, which was the show where at the very least they tried to yeah. give you enough stuff to like, if you can see this guy, uh, yeah. call this number because he killed people mm-hmm. like it's t- so yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh man, America's I'm getting like a real like un- unsolved mysteries and America's most wanted. Like I'm having a oh real gosh. 90s nostalgia moment here. <laughs> this is our most nostalgic episode yet. I love it. So unsolved mysteries did an episode on the Roswell incident. Not surprising. Uh, this was in the early 1990s at this point, mm-hmm. they devoted an episode, they did a reconstruction of uh, what had happened based on the work of these authors from like the Roswell incident and all these things. They kind of cl- put it all together and did an Unsolved Mysteries episode out of it, including uh, contacting Staten Friedman, the guy who did the uh, original interview with Major Marcel. Yeah. And they connected the dots and they kind of made what is the modern Roswell mythology. Mm. And all of that came out in a book by uh, Kevin Randall and Donald Schmidt in a book called called UFO Crash at Watt Roswell. Uh, it came out in 1991. This is the part where all sorts of new things just appeared in the story. In this book, there was claims of multiple crash sites where multiple UFOs uh, landed, that they found huh. alien bodies, that the coroner was asked for child-sized coffins, reports of aliens walking around the base, a red-haired colonel who was walking around making death threats, and the disappearance of a nurse who, quote, knew too much. Oh, this is... This is getting spicy. This is interesting. I love the intrigue, the the uncertainty, the the gravitas of the scenario, the conspiracies. Yes, this is what I'm in for. This is exciting. This is way more exciting than a weather balloon. Yeah, and it's very interesting that this all traces its origin to 1991. <laughs> yes, nearly 50 years after the actual incident happened. Yeah. And then, so Glenn Dennis, who was a mortician in 1947 at Roswell, gave a lot of the accounts that led to those, like, those bits of lore that came through. He was 
very old at this point. If you imagine being old enough to be a mortician in 1947. Yeah, you would be. Oh, he fits the. He, I bet he fits the description of like a horror movie, like old timey person who's like, don't go in there or you will never be seen again. Like that's that's kind of what I'm picturing. Yeah, you have quite a treasure there in that Herodric cube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Glenn Dennis was the person who gave a lot of the information that led to this uh, book coming out. So all that new stuff came from this interview with this man who hadn't thought about the subject for 42 years until he saw the episode of Unsolved Mysteries and decided to mm. reach out and tell his story. And he's the one who contacted Stanton Friedman again. And that's how they put together the information that would eventually go into the book UFO Crash at Roswell. Mm. So here's the thing. So he made all those claims, right? That uh, that the alien bodies have been recovered, that there was child-sized coffins, uh, everything I mentioned earlier. Now, here's the thing, is that he was in the area for quite a long time. And what he's like remembering is like several events that happened over the period of several years mm, so people okay people have corroborated uh, a lot of the claims in his stories and none of the things that he said actually happened at in 1947 but things that probably jogged his old memories because this guy's like his memory was fa- failing he was extremely old at this point yeah and so well, we find that a lot of the claims that come the chief lore of the Roswell incident are a series of events that happened over a 12-year period. So, for example, he refers to airmen in his interview existing in 1947, which is a rank that would not exist at that point in history. Okay. 1947, still shortly after World War II, they're still kind of formalizing what the Air Force is going to really look like at this point. They're sure. reorganizing the entire military from like the World War II era military to the Cold War military. So he references to people of a rank that didn't exist. He references a black colonel serving on the Roswell base when uh, the U.S. military was not racially integrated until 1949. A couple of years after, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the nurse that he mentions, the nurse who knew too much and then uh, mysteriously disappeared. Yes. Uh, started working at the Roswell base a month after the Roswell incident. And huh. there's a pretty good record that she disappeared because she went back home because she was suffering from a uh, pretty bad illness. <laughs> and she didn't come Aww. back because... Essentially, she couldn't work anymore. An alien illness, <laughs> an alien bacteria, because she was too nosy and she got all up in those alien guts. Yeah. And a lot of his alien autopsy stuff comes from an incident that happened in 1956 where a plane crash happened and 11 people were killed. And some of them were very badly mutilated, like body parts cut off, people severely burned, really like 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 really, really ugly crash. And so a lot of the stuff about the smaller coffins had to do with a lot of this kind of stuff. I see. And then also he claimed to see an alien walking around the base by seeing a guy with a huge head. This is a fucking hilarious story. I can't wait to show you this. Okay, hold on. Hit me with this. Okay. Let me... I'm, si- I'm sitting up proper. I got to hear this. So the guy with the huge head was a guy by the name of Dan Fulgham. <laughs> it's just the guy? Yeah. So what happened it's is- the guy named Dan. <laughs> what happened is, is in 1959 on the Roswell base, he got hit on the head. Uh, he had a head injury <laughs> that caused- massive swelling and apparently his head grew to the size of a beach ball oh no oh dan oh man the other thing apparently too is that this didn't hurt him very much like he wasn't in like bad shape so while his head was huge he was like actually acting kind of normal and he was actually he's like at work yeah yeah apparently like he was seen smoking cigarettes and stuff like that while just having this huge head (laughs) 
Is that where a lot of these like big headed alien stuff comes from? Is Dan? Is Dan is Dan the first gray? Is Dan the first big headed gray alien? Just a guy named Dan? Poor Dan. Oh boy. And that is how we go from Dan to XCOM. So <laughs> thankfully everybody. Moral of the story, this is a net positive for everyone. <laughs> yep. So then uh, that's so that's that's really like the the main story of the story of the Roswell incident. It was Mm -hmm. a bunch of people half remembering things, embellishing stories, and then a bunch of people who were very invested in making sure that this story all pointed to aliens uh, and then them cribbing off of each other year after year to kind of build off of each other's thing until eventually you have a big elaborate lore of this incident that was really just a balloon, a military balloon crashing in a ranch in the desert in New Mexico. Uh, Can I, I want to, I want to reflect on that for a minute because we've, we've been talking a little bit about memories and how our memories can fail us. And if it's not obvious, you know, uh, people like to think they have good memories, but I remember I've done a study or I didn't do a study. What am I, a scientist? I read a study by actual scientists a couple of years ago when I did a video about this on my YouTube channel all about Batman because I got to make it about nerd stuff and my question was like could Batman remember the death of his own parents because it's the thing that motivates him he thinks about it constantly and this study found that the more you remember something or the more you dwell on a memory the less accurate it becomes the more susceptible you are to change it based on the current state you're in when you're remembering it so like that's why a very scary thing could happen like if you ride a roller coaster or jump off, uh, you know, like go skydiving, it can be really scary in the moment. But then afterwards, when you reflect back on it, you think of it as a positive experience because you're no longer in danger in those scenarios or like feel like you're in danger in those scenarios. So like the more you reflect on a memory, the more your present state can impact it and add details, subtract details, condense stuff like you were talking about how this guy, Glenn Dennis, like compressed a whole bunch of memories together over the span of a long period of time. So really, the the less you think about a memory and the less you dwell on it, if you recall it again, it will be at least a little bit more accurate than someone who's been talking about it and reflecting on it for, you know, 40, 50 years, which I think is just really interesting, a way to to think about how our minds work. The, the more we think about something, the less accurate that memory is. And so when you have a really long period of time like this and uh, you get, you know, all these different interviews with people who might who were there and might have been talking about it and in different ways and different contexts. It's really hard to take those as fact. I mean, as you've shown, even Glenn Dennis had a whole bunch of inaccuracies like that we can objectively prove. And on top of that, like this is sort of a thing that shows up with a lot of conspiracy theories is that there are all these people who were witness to absolutely extraordinary events who then forgot about it for like four decades before speaking to the public. So this whole thing about like how conspiracies are pretty tough to justify because so many people have to be involved for them to happen that the longer time goes on, the less possible it is that like everybody kept secret and nobody said anything, especially these people who just talked to random UFO people uh, in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. It's tempting, right? This is a really interesting story. I think 
there's a reason why Roswell re- resonates with a lot of conspiracy, like alien conspiracy theorists. It's because it's kind of exciting and it is seemingly tangible, more tangible than like ancient aliens even. And so I get the I get the urge to kind of be like, I don't know, maybe something did happen there. I don't know. Maybe, what if it could? That could be interesting. There's a cover up there. There's a, you know, autopsy, all this stuff. Because it is exciting, but I don't know. So far, so far, nothing's really, nothing's really holding much, much water for me. Oh, to mention also the alien autopsy video that was uh, the subject of the Jonathan Frakes video turned out to be a hoax. Yeah, (laughs) that doesn't surprise me. Um, though the people who made the hoax claim that it is a, uh, accurate re, re, <laughs> like, a what's it called? Um, replay or like an accurate, um, yeah. dramatization of the actual yeah, yeah, yeah. alien autopsy. <laughs> Look, we made it up, but we made it up in a way that we think clearly represents what definitely did happen. It's great. Look, if the, uh, Tristan, if the autopsy is fake, then convince me that the moon landing isn't also fake. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We'll get to that. Maybe. That sounds like a fun thing. Um, although it's not very alien-y. It's not very alien-y. But um, end of the day, all this lore, that all comes down to this thing, this crash. Now, why would a weather balloon that was silver crash and why would the military be so interested in it? Why were they so cagey about details? Yeah. That is probably part of, I mean, not the only thing, because whenever the government, you know, says something official, people will still build whatever they want around it. But the official story did have like, why are you so interested in this weather balloon? If it's just a weather balloon, then why did you show up and take it away? And like, why aren't you like, anyways, comes down to like, okay, well, why? What is this thing? This thing that landed in this thing? Like, what was this tinfoil all about? And that is a less fun, but probably more uh, understandable thing, which is that it was a attempt to develop a technology to listen for potential nuclear bombs tests in the Soviet Union. (laughs) I see. I see. And that would explain why they wouldn't want people to know about it. Yeah, it turns out a lot of times, the especially in the like Cold War era, all of those like secret things. This basically explains a lot of Area 51 as well. A lot of those like mm-hmm. alien ships and stuff like that. Oh, it's like, why are all these strange aircraft around this experimental aircraft base? Okay, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who could it, what does it mean, Tristan? What does it mean? What could possibly be the connection there? Why is it all secret? It's because of the Cold War. So this was a project uh, called Project Mogul. So when they were trying trying to test to see if they could find like signs of Soviet nuclear tests. What they did was they thought that if they flew up these air balloons, air balloons, as if there was a different type of balloon, I guess there's water balloons. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are significantly different. But if they flew up these balloons and equipped them with these microphones that were designed to detect ultra low frequencies, that they might detect like the very subtle bits of like the shockwave from a nuclear bomb going off, even if it's on the other side of the world. In principle, they were right. But this project ended up working out because they found a much easier technology which is um, you take that microphone and aim it at the ground and you look for, uh, which is basically seismology, detecting the vibrations and sounds coming out of the ground. And they eventually did detect Soviet nuclear weapons tests by using seismographs and stuff like that. Hmm. But yeah, it was a classified project uh, that was being done by the military and New York University, go NYU. I'm sure there's 
maybe one NYU student who's listening to this. Yeah, they're just in their car going, woo, yeah. Yeah, go. I don't even know what their sports team is. But yeah, oh man, we are not sports people. The, the New York Bodega Cats. Oh, okay. This isn't even fun. The the Violets. Oh, the Violets. <laughs> okay. Uh, go Violets. Um, go Violets. Yeah, so NYU was working on this. It was a project that they carried out from 1947, and it was discontinued in 1949. Moderately successful, but the problem was is that it was expensive, and they found a much easier thing by using seismic detectors. Uh, and air sampling to find out whether or not bombs had gone off. It was cheaper, more reliable, and easier to deploy and operate. So eventually, it was essentially a wacky Cold War technology in 1947, which is like right when the Cold War is starting. The Americans detonated their first nuclear bomb in 1945, two years before the Roswell incident. And the first Soviet nuclear bomb went off in 1949. So we're like right when like tension's really high. This is still when like, if you take history class, like when all of the stuff in Europe is happening about Germany and everything like that. So this is like the most, well, I didn't say the most tense, but it's one of the more tense points is like the Cold War is starting to come into place. So this is one of the things they put in place. Mm-hmm. And they were paranoid about making of trying to track the progress of the Soviet nuclear weapons program. Yeah. And because obviously this other technology, the seismology worked out better, there was no need to continue to make these sort of experimental balloons that probably would it, it, imagine if they had continued to make them, like if they were a thing that we actually used more often, then maybe this wouldn't have spiraled so out of control because then people would have been like, oh yeah, no, that looks like that. That looks like the thing that we now use. But because they found something else, this weird little crashed balloon just kind of lives by itself in a weird conspiracy bubble made its own little uh, legend otherwise would have been just this forgettable attempt at yeah of explosion detection and it speaks to uh the root of a lot of conspiracy theories from the cold war era you know the mid-century 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s it's that there's a lack of transparency from the government they don't want to give out information because they don't want to they don't want the soviets (laughs) finding out what kind of things they're working on. You know, there's like, yeah. oh, there's UFOs around Area 51. What's that all about? And they don't want to say, well, we're working on this thing called a stealth bomber and we don't want them to know that we're making airplanes that can't be picked up by radar. Right, um, right. Don't want to show your hand a little early. Yeah, or they're doing things like spying on the Soviet Union illegally, but that's a different thing. Um, hmm. So a lot of times there were incidents like this where the government doesn't say anything or they give a really flimsy, shitty excuse and uh, conspiracy theories then take it and run with it it's kind of true for this it's true for like the uh jfk assassination it's true for it's true for a lot of things um jfk also aliens all aliens were behind that one too so we'll cover that in the future episode for sure yeah (laughs) and uh in many ways once these conspiracy theories do start getting they start just spiraling out of control into this kind of like unfalsifiable pile of beliefs like we didn't even cover most of the roswell claims because there's just so many of them because it just keeps getting built on itself over and over again and there's no way to prove it otherwise because they can always just claim the conspiracy and the cover-up as part of it and so there's really no way to convincingly talk people out of believing these things well the good news is 
I believe you have successfully debunked all of those conspiracy theories in I think less than an hour. And I don't think anyone will ever spread the Roswell incident conspiracy theory ever again because we have this podcast. Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it shows a little bit about how conspiracies function. And this is in a more modern context, because this is technically the part where Tristan makes you sad. In a more modern context, you see conspiracy theories like QAnon, where we're seeing in mm. real time as they as the conspiracy theory continues it starts to grow and it starts to mutate and it starts to spread into new areas and make new claims and build its own like alternate explanation for everything and roswell was part of if not the beginning of the whole men in black the government knows about ufos they're covering it up storyline that has uh, ballooned out into a huge amount of ufo lore which probably peaked in the 1990s but uh, is still, you know, going strong today to the point where a show like Ancient Aliens is doing numbers. So yeah, and Unsolved Mysteries back on it's back. It's back, baby. I was gonna say back on air, but it's on Netflix. Yeah. But yeah, they had at least one alien episode in that in one of the seasons. And now it's a big part of our culture. You know, they reference it uh, all the time. Like there, there was a Futurama joke about a lot of these things of Roswell. There was, can I say this one? There was an entire Scooby-Doo movie called uh, Alien Invaders, which was about Roswell and Area 51 and there being aliens. I know that off the top of my head. And I also learned that the, al- so the alien autopsy uh, video was faked, but even that has its own cultural cachet to the point where apparently, and I was doing the research for this and I came across this, the YouTube channel Epic Mealtime, which is not a YouTube channel you have thought of in at least a decade, yeah, um, holy cow. did a sponsorship with XCOM and did an alien autopsy themed meat and cheese monstrosity as they do. Wow. I can't. You pulled Epic Mealtime out of the, the debris of garbage my brain was just about to dump out and now it is launched right back in the old librarian of scott's brain is just like ah time to put this in the trash you're like no there's a car from up top (laughs) save it save the records (laughs) you have to remember bacon strips and bacon strips oh boy um Yeah, and so it turns out that a lot of UFO conspiracies is just the government using your tax dollars to spy on communists. Mm, (laughs) That's the real sad ending. That's the... (laughs) So... Again, when you look at it, when you look at the history of the history of Roswell, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to conclude that, at least in this case, it's probably not aliens. Probably. It's- I, I, I have a feeling we will not get a single ounce of pushback from this episode. I have a feeling not a single person will ever listen to this episode and go... Well, hold on, but have you considered this other angle? Or what about this is part of the cover-up? I guarantee you we will never get anything like that because everyone is in agreement that it's probably not aliens. For this and every episode we do, I picture this being the least controversial podcast. I was about to say this is going to be the least controversial thing I've ever made, which is it might actually be up there. This is actually more tame than most of the stuff I make. (laughs) That is true. Speaking of stuff that you make, let's talk about stuff that we make first. Uh, Go follow us on social media on Twitter. It's probs, not aliens. We get more updates, all sorts of that good 
good content. Tristan, you were talking about you make things on the internet. Where Where is that at? I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Step Back, where I talk about nominally history, but it's like uh, a certain comic book YouTuber. I've been branching out into new things that I also am into. Speaking of which, who's got a channel where they talk about nerd things? Have we worked? We've been working on your elevator pitch every episode. What's your what's the, the I version know. of the elevator I pitch? I have to change time? it. I have to change it now. Uh, my elevator pitch is I run a YouTube channel called Nerd Sync, and it's all about taking niche nerdy subjects and analyzing them through curiosity and vulnerability. Is that anything? Is that anything that what I just said? Yeah, I mean, sounds good. I'm down. All right, cool. Tristan, by the way, congrats. 100,000 subscribers on your channel. I see the silver play button back there. Yeah, it's the first time it showed up yet last week. I'm very happy. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, And hey, if you like this podcast, please give us good reviews. I would really appreciate it. Great reviews, even. Talk about your favorite episode in the reviews so we know what we can make more of. Do you like it when we talk about Roswell? We can make another Roswell. <laughs> we won't do that. No, but if they we'll like just- this one, we could do Area 51. That would be a fun one. We could do that. Yeah, yeah. Get let us let us know what you think in, in reviews and let us know what kind of what makes for a good episode. What do you what are you liking so far? All that good stuff. And tell your friends. Oh my gosh, tell your friends. It's like the most important thing you could do. If you don't have friends, go make some so you can talk about this podcast with them. Approach strangers everywhere you are and start yelling about this podcast until they are your friend. Buy dozens of flash drives and load them up with episodes and just give them to people (laughs) on the street. Uh, There's a pandemic going on, but you know what? Plastic is sterile, so it's fine. It's perfect. It's a foolproof plan. So, Scott and the internet, uh, until next time, The truth is out there. Probably?